Really glad that you're here tonight. I'm super anxious, ready to go. Uh, Let's begin with this. Uh, The American child, uh, you, many of you, is indoctrinated from a young age uh, with these things called uh, nursery rhymes, right? And um, now some of them are uh, very specific to uh, your family. So in other words, your family had a couple uh, nursery rhymes uh, which your parents couldn't sing well or uh, recite well, uh, but they were traditional, like for your family. They were your jam, okay? And there's others, though, that, that are just, they're, they're just kind of across the board. I would imagine we'd be hard-pressed to find someone in this room uh, that hasn't heard of the, the Itsy Bitsy Spider, right? Can I just get an amen or something, right? Is, and and let, has anyone in here never heard of the Itsy Bitsy Spider, just by raise of hand, okay? So every person in here. Now, listen, we, we've heard it so much. And so the truth of the Itsy Bitsy Spider like doesn't ring in our heart. So let's just say it together, right? The Itsy Bitsy Spider, pardon me? The hand motions, I'm not sure how they go. How do they go? This would be the time where we like bring people up and they like do them. I mean, I can guess how they go, like the Itsy Bitsy Spider or something like that. I'm not sure. It's like a, it's small, so I don't know how to. Okay, so the Itsy Bitsy Spider climbed up the water spout, right? Down came the rain, washed the spider out. Out came the sun, dried up all the rain. The Itsy Bitsy Spider climbed up the spout again. Now, I don't know what our parents were thinking that this brought um, calm to children, right? Like spiders and calm don't go together. But it's a story we just have heard over and over and over. That's really quite brilliant if you just stop and pause and think about it. It's like this amazing, like David and Goliath story. Seriously, think about it. This really small um, amphibian, is that the right? Arachnid. Ar- arachnid. This really small, <laughs> this really small arachnid um, is like, is going against the grain, right? And, and so he, he's trying to travel up the water spout, and unfortunately, to his demise, a rain comes, washes him out. Some would think, though, that the spider would quit. But in his resilience and his determination, right, like this little specimen actually heads back up the same place that just washed him out. Like, this is a pretty awesome story of encouragement, you know. But we, we don't think of it that way. I mean, I would, I would guess to think that you've never just sat and studied the Itsy Bitsy Spider, right? Um, now, interestingly enough, the rhythms in our life work this way pretty much in every category, especially when it comes to the Scripture. In other words... There's these huge, monumental, biblical, popular stories. I would imagine like if we were to go across St. Charles and ask uh, folks, do a random survey, have you heard that Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected? Listen, I would imagine that we could find some folks who have never heard that story, right? Who don't know that Jesus uh, died on a cross. They may not even have heard of Jesus. Um, unlike other stories in the Bible, I think we'd be hard-pressed, especially because of uh, Evan Almighty, to find someone that, that hasn't heard of Noah's Ark. Like, I, that's pretty much like one of those stories that spans across the culture, Christian or not, because of Hollywood and just because of how we've portrayed this interesting story, it's something that everyone, listen, thinks that they know. Many of you walked in here tonight thinking that you know it. Uh, just because it was popular, just because when you went to Sunday school and you saw it on a felt board and everyone was happy singing, you know, everyone on the ark was like dancing and Noah had a guitar, right, and like all that kind of stuff. That, that's what you grew up thinking. And so you think because of that, you know the story. What I want to do tonight is take us on a journey as we continue our study of Hebrews 11 through a very familiar story that I think tonight you'll see is really not that familiar. You know that there's Noah, and you know that there's an ark, and you know that it rains. But outside of that, the weight, the depth, the power of this text is unbelievable. Okay? So, I want to remind you where we've been. Two weeks ago, we started a study, a journey, through the beginning of Hebrews chapter 11. The whole theme of this chapter is faith. And last week, we saw this. um, We we studied uh, two characters in particular. Go ahead and throw this slide up for me here, Andrew, if you could. Uh, We use, in Hebrews 11, used uh, Abel and Enoch as an example of faith. This is what we studied last week. First, Abel, that God is worthy of the best, sincere-hearted sacrifice. Well, a quick review. Uh, Abel is uh, one of the first uh, children born, right? Cain, his older brother, uh, and Abel both bring a sacrifice to the Lord. Uh, Cain's sacrifice is not accepted by God, and Abel's is. Cain gets jealous His jealousy is fueled so much that it causes Cain to kill his older brother. But it doesn't deter Abel's faith. 
And so we see the, in really in the scripture the first martyr through Abel. We also uh, looked at Enoch last week. Enoch uh, was a very old man. And at the age of 365, God just literally took him, one of the two men recorded in the Bible, that do not die. And Enoch's faith is in Hebrews 11 in this litany of characters because of this. He accepts this call, wherever God is going is where I want to be. Because we saw twice in Hebrews 11 that Enoch walked with God. So tonight, one verse, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. I invite you guys to open your Bibles there. You're like, one verse? Yes, one verse. How is he going to spend? You'll see. Here we go. Hebrews uh, chapter 11, verse... uh, We're going to actually start in verse 4. Read uh, again the passage that we looked at last week, and then we'll uh, tag on verse 7 here at the end, and then begin to plow through. Verse 4. You guys there? Say, I'm there. Wonderful. Now, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and... Through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Abel was killed by his brother, but his example of faith lives on. Verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. In verse 6, and without faith it is impossible to please him. Powerful passage. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And here we go, verse 7, our text for tonight. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. And by this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. I'm telling you right now tonight, this ain't your mama's Noah's ark. This isn't what you grew up on. Tonight we're going to look at the the depth and the weight of the passage. And let's start here in verse 7. By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. We'll talk about all of that. In reverent fear, constructed an ark. Now, I want to start our conversation here. There's all kinds of things that we could say causes Noah to make this ark. But Hebrews 11.7 points to one thing, reverent fear. I'm all about love. I love me some love. Anyone else? Right? Like love's good. That's great. We're commanded by God to love him and to love people. Love's a great thing. But I feel like sometimes in our love of God and of others, it becomes like this too romantic, too, uh, I've used before, like Jesus is my boyfriend kind of mentality. Instead of this brilliant picture that Noah really adheres to, that God speaks and he listens. He builds the ark in what? In reverent fear, in awe of who God is. That's all he needs. In other words, Noah doesn't need to be told by God, I love you. Noah doesn't need to be told by God, hey, listen, I've got all this under control. No, God speaks, and in reverent fear of who God is, Noah listens. So all this whole discussion tonight, as we dig into the depth of the story, is going to be shrouded with Noah did this in faith with this reverent fear of who God is. And I know many of you walked in here with this very like touchy-feely kind of relationship with Jesus that's all about emotions and you know this kind of Valentine's Day relationship with Christ. Listen, like what, what if reverent fear was enough? What if we had nothing else? Love is so incredible, but what, what if it was just reverent fear, right? So as we begin our discussion, we have to turn to Genesis, right? So I want to look at the story of Noah as it unfolds and just begin to unpack the story that many of you guys know but actually don't know at all. So we're going to start here in uh, chapter 6 of Genesis and verse 5. The scriptures will be on the screen so you can follow along. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's like a double, triple positive or something. You see that? Uh, Every intention of his thoughts was only evil continually. Uh, That's as if to say man's heart was incredibly evil, right? Um, Now, I'd like to say that things are, are different now. But it's so interesting when you read the Old Testament, how relevant it is to our current state. When Adam and Eve fall and sin comes in the world, and Scripture says in Romans that because they sinned, all have sinned. Apart from Christ, only evil. Are we together? 
And so I don't care whether you're talking in Genesis 6 or whether you're talking now in 2011. Man's heart, apart from Christ, is only continually evil. We'll say things like, oh, but, but they're not all that. They're not all bad. That person's a good person. Well, what defines good? Is it us or is it the person of Christ? You see what I'm saying? Apart from Christ, only evil. We could say, well, but there's morality over there. And that's just what it is apart from Christ. It's morality. It's not righteousness. It's not even evidence of grace. Are we together? So here in this culture, things have gone um, incredibly uh, horrible. Things are not in a good state. Verse 6. Have you ever heard a weighty passage in the Scripture? This is the passage that they don't put on the felt board. And the Lord regretted that He had made man on the earth. Okay, In Sunday school, they're not like preaching that to the kids. And so here God comes, and He regretted that He made man. Kids, have a great day. right? Go get your parents. Go tell them how encouraged you were today in Sunday school. The Lord regretted that He had made man on the earth, and it grieved Him to His heart. There's certain passages that you read in the Scripture where it just causes you just to stop for a second. And the weight of it is sitting on you. Uh, to regret something, in this case, in the Hebrew, is, is simply just to grieve. Listen, I know God feels at times impersonal to you because He's not like here. Your relationships are relationships. They feel more personal because you can like talk and you have this communication you can touch. How incredible is this picture of a personal God? You're saying, but yeah, it's in the negative. Yeah, but it shows the heart of God. He looks down. He sees the state of what's happening. And it grieves him. Uh, the concept I always use to describe this is the sinfulness of sin is incredibly real. So the Lord is grieved. Um, so verse 7. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land. Man and animals and creeping things and the birds of the heavens. For I am sorry that I have made them. Now, I think part of our problem in understanding the story is we've misnamed it. Okay, we call this story Noah's Ark. In fact, I would venture to say that all of the stories we title in the Bible, like Jonah and the fish, Daniel and the lion's dead, are any of these stories about these characters or are they all about God? You see what I'm saying? Like this really should be entitled God's judgment and Noah making an ark, you know, like in the subtitle or something, right? Like... But this is about God's judgment. God looks down and he says, listen, things are horrible down here, so I'm going to blot out everyone. Again, in Sunday school, when you're growing up, when your parents read you this story, they didn't use this language. God had to, you know, like do some things to kind of change the setting. No, God said, I'm going to blot out man. Now listen, many people at this point in the scripture, some of you would say, yeah, but you tell me all the time God is a loving God and He's merciful and gracious. Where is the grace? Where is the mercy in that? You tell me all the time that, that your God is a God of love. Well, where is the love? Can I tell you this? Grace and mercy are not a matter of quantity. Look at verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. See? Do you think that grace and mercy are an issue of quantity? That because God would look down and say, I have to blot out all this transgression... But there's one who I find favor in. And then we have the audacity to say that's not a merciful and gracious God. Man deserves nothing. Are we together? Man deserves nothing, including Noah. Deserves nothing. That's the premise of mercy and grace. Both the definitions of both of those terms all have to do with us deserving nothing. So mercy and grace aren't an issue of quantity. So I actually look at this verse... God's saying, I'm going to blot out man, wipe him from the earth. And I say, this is a merciful God. Because he looks down and finds favor in, in, in Noah. And so I still say, amidst all the chaos, the story that I want to teach my kids is, listen, amidst what seems tremendous judgment, this God is so incredibly loving. He's still like, there's one. Right? So next verse. Uh, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. And now this is huge for us to see. Noah found favor in the eyes of God. And then what does the Bible say? He was righteous. In other words, the Bible doesn't say he was righteous and then he found favor in the eyes of God. You guys see the order? God is gracious 
pursues Noah, and because of what God did in Noah's heart, then he's righteous. He's not first righteous and then finding favor. We together, right? He's blameless in his generation. Doesn't mean he's perfect. It's an issue of his righteousness. And here we see the same language that was used of Enoch. Noah walked with God. Now, uh, when Noah starts all of this process, he's a good 500, okay? So uh, there's, there's been some time for all of this to be fleshed out. It's one thing to say a 12-year-old's faithful. It's a whole other thing to say a 500-year-old has walked with God. That's why we love us some old seasoned people up in here. Any, any other fans? You know, I'm just like, we just give it up for the old seasoned folks here. Yeah, come on. Bring them on. Bring on the 500-year-old, you know? That's what we want in here. They don't exist anymore. But anyway, Noah had three sons. This is kind of a, an added here just to set the stage for the story. He had three sons, Shem, Ham, that's an interesting name, and Jephath. Noah's a righteous man. Verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Again, I know so many of you get so discouraged when you're reading the Old Testament because you say to yourself, there is no relevance. From the moment in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sin and fall away, there are two prominent themes in the Bible. Man has a problem and God is the answer. Man is corrupt and God is the answer. Man has issues, he's far from God, but God in His grace and mercy can bring man back, you see? And so here, in verse 11 and 12, it's the same problem, it's the same answer. Corruption is all over the place, but God has a plan. Love it. Now, um... There's interesting conversations I would imagine that you have in your life that render you speechless. When I was a youth pastor, I uh, did some crazy things. I was uh, very famous for crazy games. Some of you guys in here uh, were in my youth ministry, and I'm not proud of all these things. Um, uh, Once a child broke his leg because we were trying to do the longest jump rope in the world, uh, break the Guinness Book of World Records, and it wasn't working very well, so I tied um, two-liter bottles to the middle of it, um, it was like literally 200 feet long, not considering the fact that when it like whipped back around, it would be coming pretty hot, you know. And, and so this, this kid um, unfortunately broke his leg. But another time, um, I had this brilliant idea that it would be really fun to duct tape junior hires to the wall. Now, um, this wasn't an issue of judgment, rather of love uh, from me. And so we had many junior hires and middle schoolers who were really excited about this. And, uh, and I really hadn't thought this all the way through, you know. Uh, and so we take some duct, duct tape and we're, um, you know, we're, we're literally taping these junior hires like four or five feet off the ground on the wall. Well, uh, one of these uh, precious little junior high girls uh, went home and told mommy and daddy. And um, uh, then uh, later that, uh, that next day, I, I had a little visit from mommy and daddy. And um, I don't know if you've ever had one of these conversations where you just like don't know even what to say. Like, like you even want to say Sorry. But you're, you're processing what they're saying, and you realize you're an idiot. You know what I'm saying? And just, there's just nothing. Um, so, Mark, we're, help, me, help me understand. We're trying to understand why you duct tape our daughter to the wall. Yeah, that's a great question. Like, I'm not, I'm not really sure, actually. I got pictures, though. Like, it was awesome. You should have. Now. There's conversations where you just, it just renders you speechless. Like in that moment, I remember like another moment in my life, a little bit less, um, a little bit more intense. Uh, the night that my parents uh, told us they were getting a divorce, some of you guys have had to go through that conversation. I remember just thinking like, I don't, like I don't know what to say. I, in fact, I have nothing to say. And so some of you guys who have like went through that, you're just sitting there. The thing that's so interesting to me is this. God's getting ready to have a conversation with Noah. And listen, Noah doesn't say a word for three chapters. He's so in awe of God that the scripture doesn't record Noah saying one word. God keeps talking. In fact, Noah doesn't talk until chapter 9 when he ends up in sin and then finally has something to say. So it paints this picture of God sitting on His throne and man sitting in His rightful place in reverent fear of who God is. What I love about that is we got a lot to say, 
We got a lot of banter that at times we're communicating with God. This is a phenomenal picture of what it looks like to hear God's voice and just to be silent and know that he's God. So check out uh, this intense conversation. And God said to Noah, again, this is the beginning here, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. As best as you can, try to picture yourself as Noah. Okay? God pursues you. I'm going to end it all. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Now this seems like a peculiar conversation in the scripture. Wouldn't, wouldn't you agree? So here, uh, here's my plan. Uh, I'm going to blot out humans. I'm going to destroy all flesh. There's a lot of violence. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. Like, again, Noah, so almost intimidated, trying to process what this means. He's sitting there having to say, uh, uh, I don't even know what to say to that. The conversation continues to unfold. Next slide. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and covered inside and out with pitch. And he just goes right in to the description of the ark. Quick note. The area of the world that this lands on is between two rivers and far away from the sea. Tells us two things. A, Noah ain't a boat builder, okay? You're not a boat builder in the, in the middle of nowhere, in literally the wilderness, okay? So God's command and call is coming to a man, listen, who's ill-equipped for the task. It's interesting how much that sets the tone for the rest of the scripture. Of how God is calling those who seem ill-equipped and ill-prepared so that God can be the one to receive glory that man may not boast. Are we together? So from the very like, first picture, it's also interesting to note that he just goes right into this incredible depiction of this massive boat. Look at this. Covered inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark. I mean, if I'm Noah, I'm still sitting there processing the last statement, you know. And he's like, hold on, like, let me get something to write on here. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 30 cubits. It's breadth, 50 cubits. It's height, 30 cubits. I'll describe all that here in a second. Make a roof for it. That's going to be key. And finish it to a, a cubit above and set the door of the ark uh, in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. Now, I've scoured, uh, scoured the internet as best as I can to try to come up with an accurate portrayal of the ark, and here's what I came up with. I think, I think this, I think this really gives us a good visual. Um, I'm pretty sure, like, this is a speedboat, and Noah like has an iced tea back there. He's just like chilling, like, no big deal. <laughs> the stakes are like coming out of the windows. Uh, no, this next slide I think gives us a better idea. Now, um, a Dutchman actually uh, built this ark uh, exactly to scale. I'm not sure about the windows on top, but everything else he built uh, based upon the wits in the scriptures. And uh, actually, uh, here at the Olympics in 2012, the hope is that this ark will go down the river. Nonetheless, he's asking Noah to build a 437 foot long by 72 foot wide by 43 foot high ark. Um, According to scripture, and and I would uh, say by popular theory, is that rain wasn't a very popular precipitation at the time. In fact, Genesis tells us, right, that what's coming up from the ground, you guys remember, mist. So the thought is, right, that the mist has been the thing that's been keeping things green and watering things. It's very probable, in fact, and many theorists would agree that it hasn't rained to date. Mist has been watering the earth. So God is asking Noah to build something like that uh, in an area of the world that is, is, not, is not populated by water predominantly, he's not on a river, he's going to be building this in the middle of the wilderness. And as you can see, that's going to take some work and effort. But that's what God calls him to do. Next slide. For behold, he's continuing his pursuit of Noah. I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. Now, there's been things that you've been called to in your life. Things that have been really intense. Things that you felt like, like, there's no way that God's really calling me to this. Do you understand what God is calling Noah to be a part of? Massive judgment. And Noah and his faith is sitting right amidst it. So God, you're telling me in in his mind, you're going to destroy and kill everything. But there's a different plan for me. 
the weight of that would cause a man to get in a tizzy, let alone all of the boat and all the other aspects. He's thrown right in the middle of faith and judgment. But everything shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you. Noah, listen to this, please. Noah hears the word covenant for the first time we have recorded in the scripture. All this shall die, but with you. But with you, my covenant. With you, my promise. With you, there's something different. Amidst all of the, listen, amidst all of the reality of judgment, do you think, my friends, that the promise of his salvation in this case, being saved from this flood, reaches in the heart of Noah and breathes life into him? Can I ask you this? How different is this from your story as a Christian? Judgment, chaos is all around. Anyone who does not know me, they shall die. That is the reality. But with you, I will establish my covenant. That's why Jesus echoed the words in the Last Supper. Here is the blood of the new covenant. Now the covenant's through me. Anyone who believes in me, confesses me as Lord, they are saved. The covenant, the promise is now through me. It's our story right here. All of this chaos, all of this violence, all of this corruption, it will die. But I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to save you. I'm going to love you. And it's in that love, grace, and mercy, my friends, that he reaches in and just breathes love and life. And so many of us instantly turn that into love. Isn't it interesting that Noah turns that into fear? So you can do that? You're going to make a covenant with me? And he instantly doesn't just want to get all lovey-touchy with God. It causes him to fall on his face in reverent fear. Like, that's who you are, God? This is what's happening? This is unbelievable. I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. Such a beautiful portrayal here of God's love, mercy, and grace. Now this next piece has me all excited. And of every living thing of all flesh, um, so this is where the story gets really interesting. You shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. I would imagine at this point Noah's like, hold on a second. So, so wives, and that's all good. And, um, but like this is going to be interesting. You know, like the animals, and we have all, Right? Of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, and every creeping thing off the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come in, and you shall keep them alive, he says. So Noah's like calculating, like, that's, gonna, that's a lot of food. We've got a lot going on here. Also, take with you every sort of food that is eaten, every sort of food, and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and them. Verse 22 has now become one of my favorite verses in this entire story. Listen, you don't see Noah being like, uh, hey, I got some questions over here. Hey, God, uh, listen, like you got some holes in your, in your plan here. This is a big boat. We're not near a river. It ain't raining, right? You're asking me to, like all these, like God, like could you etch a sketch it out for me really quick? I need to get a mental picture. No, what does the scripture say? Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Notice the word all. In the Hebrew, that means all, Okay. That's what it means. He did all that God commanded. Now listen. I would imagine, please stay with me here. I would imagine there's been a time in your life where you have had this sense that God is calling you to do something crazy. It didn't make sense. It went against all conventional wisdom. Right? And I would imagine in that moment, like we do when that sense comes, the very first thing that we find ourselves doing is seeking affirmation of that call. Are you with me? So we have this sense that God is calling us to do something that goes against everything that we know. And so the first thing we want to do is rally other people around that. Share that. Get others' opinion. Do we see that happening here? 
Do we see Noah going out in a corrupted world saying, hey, uh, listen everyone, here's the plan. want to get your thoughts and take on this. Write down your notes so that we can have a discussion. God's going to destroy everyone except my family. How do you guys feel about that, right? It hasn't rained in a while, okay? But he's calling me to build a boat. He doesn't seek affirmation. For Noah, God's words are enough, period. That's all he needs. Now listen, I'm not saying that affirmation is bad, wrong, or incorrect. What I'm saying is that our need of affirmation and others speaking in, providing wisdom, is misguided. And here's why. We come to this moment, we feel like God's stirring something in us. For me, one of the big things was, Mark, I want you to plant a church. Right? And in that moment, my nature is just to go to the people that already got my back. To go to the people that love me, care about me. And because, like, we're words of affirmation people, I'm telling them, hey, listen, God's calling. Like, I think he's calling me to plant a church. And I'm feeding, feasting off other people's encouragement and wisdom. But these are people that already have my back. I'm not going to my enemies. So, hey, I'm called to plant a church. Yeah, I hate you anyway. Like, what are you talking about? You know what I'm saying? Like, we're not even, not from me, but they hate me, right? Like, I'm not going to those people. I'm going to my mom. Like, that's where you go when you need some affirmation, right? Like, mom, here's the thing. Like, I'm called to plant a church. Oh, son, you'll do awesome. Like, it'll be the best thing ever. I'll be at your launch and every service. You know, I mean, that's just... We go to those people. And listen, we go to people whose faith has not been stretched. The 19-year-old seeks wisdom from the 19-year-old. That is idiotic. God calls, rightfully, at times, a 19-year-old to do crazy things in his name. And that 19-year-old has the audacity to go seek wisdom from the other 19-year-old whose faith has never been stretched. That's the whole point of why the writer of Hebrews is putting Noah in here. Your faith is going to be stretched and you need to be encouraged, not by someone who sat on a couch his life, but someone who was asked to build a boat in the middle of nowhere. You see what I'm saying? But we seek wisdom from the wrong places, from people whose faith has never been stretched. And so you know what ends up happening? We end up stopping short of the call of God. We'll only go so far. But here, this starts to get uncomfortable. No one affirmed me in it. No one affirmed me in it. And so I'm pulling back. Though in your heart, it's keeping you up at night. It goes against all conventional wisdom. For us, it was Wednesday, Sunday. Everyone was saying, that won't work. It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. A church can't meet on Wednesday. They can't have small group on Sunday. But in our hearts, we're like, yes, I know, but God is calling us to this. I can't fight that. Like, I, I don't need anyone's affirmation. I need one affirmation, and that is God. We need wisdom, we seek it from the Lord, and we seek it from folks like this whose faith has been stretched. You go sit and talk to someone who sold everything and who's living an incredibly missional life, and you share your crazy story with them, they're going to be like, yeah, that sounds just like God, actually. Yeah. Whereas all these other people are like, uh, but... Have you thought about this, and what about this, and what about that? And then pretty soon, that vision gets squelched. Have you ever felt that before? Other Christians squelching that vision. Uh, you shouldn't go back to school. I don't know about that. that should, and some of that is good wisdom, but we need to clarify, my friends, where that's coming from. So here's my question through that is this. Next slide. Is your faith dependent on what it requires? If it doesn't require much, good to go. If it's just a few things, just a little way, oh, you'll, you'll, you have all the faith in the world. But if it requires everything, mm, listen, listen, I know for sure that in this room, there are people who are being called to do radical things that we cannot even begin to imagine. This is unimaginable. Agree? No one's sitting around saying, you know what we really need right now? A big, gigantic boat in the middle of the wilderness. No one's sitting around saying that. It's unimaginable. And that's the fun part of following God, I think. With God, all things are possible. Here comes a boat. Here comes a crazy vision. And I know so many of you 
who God has called to do crazy things for his name's sake have stopped short because your faith is completely dependent on what it requires. Can I ask you, is that faith? I hear all the time people say, and I'm sure you do as well, oh, I believe in God, but dot, dot, dot. Have you heard that statement? I mean, if I had a nickel for every time I've heard that statement in my life, I would be a rich man. I, be, I mean, I believe in God, but X, Y, Z. No, that's not belief. That's not belief. It's I believe in God. That's enough. I believe in God. I believe in God. There's, no, there's never a but to our belief. Are you with me? Never a but. Next slide. Are you being unfaithful in areas of your life because it requires too much? And you start to think about all the people in this room and all the things that could happen. And yet we're sitting relying too much on ourselves. We're stopping short because it requires too much. Listen, I want this Jesus thing, but not, all, not really all, the, all of it. Christ is our greatest example, amen? Uh, some would say that um, it really didn't require much because he was God. Yeah, uh, actually he was fully God and fully man. And his mission required everything. It required sacrifice on a cross. Everything, everything. Uh, for Noah, it required everything. He's 500 years old. He's not in his prime boat-building days, okay? And it's going to require everything that he has. And the Bible said he did it all as God commanded, all. Next slide. <clears throat> Chapter 7. Then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and all your household. For I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. This is awesome. By all intensive purposes, in, in my interpretation of the scripture and several others, it took Noah about 120 years to build this thing. And in chapter 7, we pick up after that 120 or so year. 120 years. We struggle being faithful to a call for a day, let alone 120 years. I'll talk about that more here in a second. But he comes back, God, after 120 years. One more thing, one more thing. I have to say this. You know what I love about the portrayal of this? Is it does not portray Noah as having massive accountability. Accountability is phenomenal, but we have so many safeguards in our culture. Triple X church for your phone so you don't look at porn. This over here so you don't do that. This over here so you don't do this. I'm not saying accountability is bad. I like accountability. Noah, what has he got? A whole bunch of corruption all around him. Second Peter says he was preaching righteousness, a herald of righteousness. He's preaching. It's falling on deaf ears. He's got his sons. That's more discipling relationship. That's not peer-to-peer. He's got no one except God, and it's enough for 120 years. There's no filters there's nothing on his phone. We've conditioned ourselves to need all of these things and not simply need God's word. It's enough for Noah. Why are we letting technology and all of these things run our lives through accountability instead of just saying, you're enough. Your word is enough for me, see? So he says, listen, it's time. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, which is awesome. That means they're going to have some worship up on that boat. It's going to be cool. The male and his mate and a pair of the animals that are not clean and male and his mate and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive. I shouldn't need to explain that to you on the face of all the earth. Verse 4, you'll get that later. Um, now, get this moment right here. For in seven days, I will send rain. You've worked a hundred and... 20 or so years. When Heidi and I went to find out the gender of our uh, child, our first child, I'll just use that as an example, there is so much anticipation, right? Like you go into that thing and you're like, like I'm, I'm all amped up. I'm convinced the first one's going to be a boy. I've convinced myself of that. And so you go in this room, and many of you have had this experience. You go in this room, and here comes the nurse, and the whole time you're thinking in your mind, like, let's go. Like, figure it out. Put the thing on there. Let's, you know, like, I want to know what this kid's going to be, you know? 
And, and, then, and then she like sits down and she's like small talking. So, you know, how's the weather? Put the thing on the thing, you know, like let's go. And, and, then, and then she's like, you know, moving it all around. Oh, and look, the legs, you know, are two and a half inches. I don't care. Is it a boy or a girl? You know, like there's so much anticipation. And I remember that moment like when finally the doctor was like, listen, it's a girl. And I was excited. I know, contrary to what many people thought, I was pumped that Avery, my princess, would be first. But I just remember like sitting there on the edge of my seat, so much anticipation. Could you even imagine 120 years worth of anticipation? And then God says, in seven days, it will rain. It's going to rain. And I can imagine like, though, in that moment, like I would have to think he's just like, yes, you know what I mean? Like I knew it would. I didn't have any doubt, but bring it on. Like, let's go, you know, it will rain. On the earth, 40 days and 40 nights, and every living thing that I have made, I will blot out from the face of the ground. And so in one moment, he's realizing the nature of his salvation. And in the next moment, after 120 years, as Second Peter says, of being a herald of righteousness, he's realizing the judgment of others. And I have to think, because it breaks mine, it would break his. He goes from anticipation to reality. Do you have that reality now? Does that cause you, as the scripture says of Noah, to be a herald of righteousness? Wishing that in this period of grace before the flood comes, that some would still turn and repent and follow God. And Noah did, here we go again in verse 5, all that the Lord had commanded him. And then it happens, verse 6. Noah was 600 years old when the flood, the waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. All the years, all the faith, all the calling, and finally it happens. So I want to show you a couple things here. Go back to uh, verse uh, 7 for me. By faith, being warned by God concerning events yet unseen. Do you guys understand that Noah's faith is completely based on something that has no logical understanding at all. He's having to go solely on the fact that God says, one day this will happen. I have no evidence that it's even possible for it to happen, but one day it's going to happen. And so, okay, events yet unseen, in reverent fear, he constructed an ark for the saving of his household. God saves his house, then begins after the salvation of his house, the furtherment of the race. By this, he condemned the world. He's a part of God's judgment, and yet he's, listen, not playing the role of judger. He's not playing the role of judge. Noah's a piece of it all, but he's sitting back letting God judge, and he continues to preach as a herald of righteousness and became an heir of the, righteous, of the righteousness that comes by faith, just like Abel, just like Enoch. I want to close with this. I want to show you guys something. Check this out. In this period of time, before God's command to build the ark, and when it finally rained, we have to believe, next slide, that every day that Noah wakes up, every day, and as he starts to build, and this is the thing that the felt board does a great job, it always shows like some friends, like, ha, 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 you know, like they're laughing over in the corner. Picture like over 100 years of that, of ridicule. Think of what one ridicule does to us. One word from someone can send us to a cave for a week. I don't want to talk to anyone that hurts so bad. And Noah, day after day after day. Noah, are you serious? And I'm sure worse things. He had to wake up every day and say, God, what you said will come true. And so every single day, I will go up and I will believe that your word will come to fruition. And so in the meantime, I need to make preparations. You told me to build a boat, so that's what I'm going to do. Judgment's coming. It's going to happen one day. In the meantime, I'm going to keep building. Now, I've told you guys, and we've talked about this over and over. Next slide. That there's three kinds of faith. There's those that are in this room that are non-existent. Well, you're, you're not even, you're, like, you're not starting this project. You know, like, 
there's no faith for you to even begin the thoughts of building this boat. But here's, listen, here's what the fragile in faith do. They start going, things start, next slide, they start getting tough, and they, they just bow out. Some of you guys need an indication, an indication rather, of whether your faith is tender or fragile. Is this your story? You kind of like get into whatever it is that God's calling you a little bit skittish. You're taking some steps. And then the first ridicule, the first persecution, the first hard thing that comes in the process, then boom, that glass table falls off and it's over. How many of you would say that's, that's your faith? Like, I, I know in my heart that God had called me to do this, but it was just too hard. Isn't that the point? Full reliance on who God is and not our own ability. Noah had to completely rely on the power of God working through him to accomplish all of this. The uh, tender faith, this is what they do. They get there. It's a grind. There's days that are way easier than others. But they wake up every single day, the tender in faith, those who absorb, those who even have to work through some pain. And it never changes God's word, you see. The fragile in faith change God's word to ultimately fit their comforts and fit their consequences. But the tender in faith, God's word never changes, so this can't change. The calling can't change. I must remain true to his calling. So next slide. This is exactly our story. Exactly. God saves, has changed your heart, breathed faith into you, and the one general thing that we know will happen one day in judgment and glory is that Christ will come back. He's coming back. Now, it may not be tomorrow, and I know that that would be really convenient for our faith. Oh, I can do that. I can roll 24-hour faith. Like that's, I'm, I'm phenomenal at that, right? But it's the 70-year, the 80-year, the persistent faith. That's where I struggle. He's coming back, or you will die first. And so in the meantime, it is our opportunity to make preparations to follow his command, love him and love people. And whatever the specifics are, they will come. I need to say this before we close. There are so many people that are asking me, what's God's call for my life? What's God's call for my life? What does God want me to do? And here's what I keep telling people. Focus on the general. Here's his call. It's general. Read it. Soak it up. And then what starts happening is it starts getting specific. You can't seek the specific before you've sought the general. Are we together? And so you want to know what God's call is on your life. Well, what of all these days? What of all these dots? Here it is. Love God. Love people. Go for it. Disciple. Seek Him. Follow Him. So next slide. You fill in the blanks. I know tonight for sure. There are so many of you who have stopped short of the call of God in your life because it seemed too crazy, because there was too much ridicule, because it got too tough. Maybe it's time again to in reverent fear fall on your face before a holy God and say, wherever you go, I will go even if it requires everything. It will require everything. Let's stand together. The ark represents something powerful. It's a glimmer of hope for Noah and his family. It's salvation for Noah and his family. And for everyone else, it's judgment. 
And the thing I even am telling my kids now, listen kids, Noah's Ark, you have to understand, when Noah is in that boat and it starts to rain, and all of the people finally are realizing that what Noah's been saying all these years is true, Noah can hear the pounding on the outside of the boat. But God has already shut the door. The period of grace is over. And you can imagine the weight of that moment. And I'm teaching my children that because I want them to know that the cross does the same thing that the ark did. To some it is salvation. To those who believe in Christ, it's every hope. And to others, it's judgment. And the weight of the power of His grace and mercy, I pray, sits on you anew tonight. Noah's ark is our story. The salvation of the ark is our salvation in the cross of Christ. And our promise isn't a rainbow. Come on. Our promise isn't a rainbow. Our promise is an empty tomb. Not a symbol, but a reality. As Christ walks out of the grave, conquering death, so that you in Him can too. So church, tonight, in reverent fear, We say, God, what would you have of us? And when you speak, I've got nothing to say except I will go. Nothing will hold me back. No ridicule will stop me. You lead me, God. God, for the fear in us, for those who need tremendous courage for those who have been waiting on the affirmation of man and not simply going by your word I pray that you will breathe a massive wind of faith in this room that you would put dreams and visions in our head and our mind that you would stir our hearts to obey and that it would be in reverent fear of you Long to just hear one more word. Give us courage, God. Give us comfort.